church. How we doing? Good, good. If you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 58 this morning. Isaiah chapter 58. And if you are our guest today, I want to welcome you again. So glad you could be with us today as we worship Jesus together. Um, If you have some time afterwards, we'd love to get to know you. I'll be hanging out in the foyer. We'd love to just meet and get to know you a little bit after service. Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14, just these two verses. And I want to let you know that this sermon is somewhat of a uh, continuation of a series we did back in June. So if you're new to Strong Tower, here's your invitation to go back to our website. We did a short series on the Sabbath in the month of June, and this sermon is really uh, assuming you've heard some of the concepts we've talked about, because the Sabbath is a large concept. There's a lot in the Bible about it, and we're not going to be able to cover everything. Um, But today, I want to specifically look into something that comes out of Isaiah chapter 58. So just to give you a forewarning, if you want to go back sometime this week and check out those sermons, if you missed them, that would be helpful. But we're going to look at verses 13 to 14. If you're there, say amen. Hear the reading of God's word. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, From doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, Sabbath as delight. Sabbath as delight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word today, we ask that you would help us to hear from your spirit what you would want to say to us. Open our hearts, our minds, that we would receive from you and be transformed more and more into your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There was a man named Ray Kroc who said these words famously. He said, I put the hamburger on the assembly line. I put the hamburger on the assembly line. At the time, Ray was a milkshake salesman. And he had run across this small uh, business that he thought was, uh, you know, had, had tremendous potential. A little group of brothers who had started a restaurant called McDonald's. You may have heard of them. And he ran across McDonald's before it was major. It was just one store, and yet it had been successful. They had this sign out front that's now famous that said, you know, they had sold a million hamburgers. And and he came to this place, and he had never seen anything like it. He had never seen such fast service and and such different way of thinking about restaurants. And and so he thought, you know, we got to make this global. We got to go big with this. And so he... Uh, When he came on the scene, they had sold a million. The next year, they sold 15 million. By the next year, or by the next three years, they had sold 100 million. And then it got so big that they, in 1963, televised the billionth hamburger sold for McDonald's. That's incredible growth. Today, they estimate that 75 hamburgers are sold every second somewhere in the world. McDonald's has exploded. 
And when he said this, right, it was just the beginning, and he kind of revolutionized the whole industry that we now call fast food, in some ways really inventing it out of nothing. And it's fascinating because we look back on that, and we don't really remember a time when there wasn't a restaurant you could go right after church and drive through and grab a quick meal and go on your way to whatever you're doing next. But here he has changed the game to where now everything's about speed and efficiency and how much can you get done. And the idea behind it was more is better. Faster is better. They would boast in how many and how fast and and how we can get more done. And really, hasn't that permeated the whole culture? I mean, it has permeated every way we do life. I mean, busyness is kind of a, a badge of honor, right? We, we brag about our busyness as a national pastime. It, it's what we, we love to talk about. Oh, how you doing? I'm busy. Well, what you got going on? I'm just staying busy. I'm staying busy, right? Like, that's the way we talk about our life, about our week, about our days. It's become about speed, production, efficiency. How do I get more done? How do I maximize my time? How do I do more with my life? And so when we bring in this conversation about a Sabbath, this time of rest, it seems almost odd in our culture. In some ways, Sabbath has kind of been revitalized. If if you've been paying attention, there's been a lot of books and a lot of uh, series that have been talking about it and and different things in the Christian world as people are feeling the the weight of busyness. But I think what, what can be dangerous is sometimes, even now, Sabbath is seen as really a self care tool, right? Sabbath is, is, if you're not careful, it's just another way to get more done. It's just another way to have more production, so, you know, you'll rest one day a week so that the other six days of a week, you know, you can get more done. And we'll say things like, if you don't take a day off, then, you know, your mental health is going to struggle. Or if you don't take a day off, your family life is going to struggle. If you don't take a day off, your, your Christian walk is going to be difficult, right? These are the kind of things. So it, it's really, I'm resting so that I can do more. And you still miss the point of the Sabbath. You miss the point. What if, what if the Sabbath isn't really about doing more or producing more, but it's about pleasure? pleasure. Seems a little odd. We come to this text in Isaiah, and and we're now in the final section of Isaiah. Um, We've been talking about how there's three major sections, and this last section, chapter 56 through 66, gives Isaiah's vision of the future. This is what's going to happen into the ages. This is what God is saying. My my promises beyond uh, this this moment in the exile, this is what I'm going to do to bring renewal and restoration. And what's fascinating to me is how much the Sabbath plays a central role in just these ten chapters. It shows up over three times in major ways. It is the key thought that Isaiah is unfolding, this Sabbath principle. And what's interesting is because he has a different vision for what the Sabbath really represents. He he has this vision for the Sabbath that it's more than a duty, it's really delight. It's really joy and pleasure. And so what does it look like for the Sabbath to be like that? What does it look like for it to be more than a duty, but actually a delight? This is what I want to look at today in our our short time together. So we're going to begin with the day of delight. If you're taking notes, number one, the day 
of delight. Look at verse 13 with me. Isaiah says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. These, these words come in the context of a whole chapter on this contrast between false spirituality and true spirituality. So early in chapter 58, Isaiah is talking about their false fasting. He's condemning them for saying, you know what, we're doing all this fasting and, and we're, we're uh, sacrificing ourselves and God isn't responding and he exposes their heart and he says, it's because you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're trying to get God's attention so you can manipulate him. But that's not what fasting is about. And so then he gives this different vision for fasting. And now he switches from fasting to Sabbath, because in fasting, just like the Sabbath, they had the appearance, but they lack the substance. They lack what it's really about. And so what is, what is the Sabbath about? Uh, there's an author by the name of Rich Belotus. He defines it this way. He says, Sabbath keeping is a weekly 24-hour period, get this, of unhurried delight with no have-tos or ought-tos, resulting in deep rest and renewal. I love that. Unhurried delight. And Isaiah would agree right here in chapter 58. Isaiah is pointing to this same missing element as he, he exposes their false Sabbath. He says, you, you haven't called the Sabbath a delight. A delight. In other words, what he's saying is, is you're calling the Sabbath a duty. I mean, you're showing up. You're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. He, he doesn't say they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're, they're going to the temple or the synagogue, and they're, they're worshiping God, and they're praying the prayers, and they're listening to the scriptures, and, and they're doing all the things on the day that, that they were called to do as a community. And, and in the scriptures, he said, but in all of your doing, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole concept. You're keeping the rules without the substance. The substance of the day, listen, is delight. The, the distinguishing mark of the Sabbath is delight. There's a, a renowned architect by the name of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. If you've been in Lakeland a while, you know Frank Lloyd Wright because he designed a lot of Florida Southern College and, and different places throughout the nation. And he tells this story of a, a formative experience in his childhood that kind of set some direction for him as he grew older. But he was about nine years old, and, and he was, uh, in, in the wintertime, walking across this snow-covered field with his uncle. Now, this is up north. The snow is, is real uh, dense, and it's not Florida, right? The, the snow is dense, and he's walking across this field, and his uncle is kind of this no-nonsense no smiling, just get the, get the job done kind of guy. And as they're walking together across this field, they stop, and his uncle stops him to point out the tracks behind them. And he points out the tracks, the tracks and he says to, to young Frank, he says, look at my tracks. Look at, look at how narrow they are and how they go from point A to point B, and, and they just go directly in a straight line. And now look at your tracks. Right, the little nine-year-old boy, if you ever had kids, you know what I'm talking about. Look at, look at your tracks. He said, they go from here to there to there to there, all over the place. They're, they're meandering and wandering all over. He said, here's the lesson. There's a lesson in this. But he never told him what the lesson was. 
And Frank Lloyd Wright, he said, I love to tell this story and, and, and let people know that I learned the lesson. And he always told the story with a little grin in his face and, and a little twinkle in his eye. He said, I learned the lesson that day. My uncle taught me I don't want to do anything like him because he missed all the fun in life. He missed all the delight. You hear that? Like, it, it, it's, it's so rare that you meet somebody who's just exploding with delight and joy and satisfaction and, and, and just this deep inner peace, right? And Sabbath is this invitation to, to enter into that kind of delight. It, because the essence of delight is our capacity to worship, right? That, that's what God is calling us into. It's designed by God to be this day of awe, to be this day of wonder that's set apart from all the other days, where the other six days you're, you're doing your job and you're working hard and you're, you're accomplishing whatever you need to accomplish, but this day is not about efficiency. This day is not about walking the straight line. This day is not about how can I get as much done as possible and achieve more. This day is about delight. Just delight. Just joy. And, and listen, for 24 hours, we are called to recreate the garden and just delight in God. For 24 hours. I want to ask a radical question that you may not think is that radical, but I want you to reflect on it. What, what if you had 24 hours, a 24-hour period with no agenda, no, no, no uh, criteria other than you pursued your deepest joy. What, what would you do? What would you do if you had 24 hours that there was no criteria except you could pursue your deepest joy? I mean, some of you can't remember if that's ever happened in your life. Some of you think that's probably not possible. I get it. I get it. You, I mean, you may have to pretend with me for a little bit. Just pretend that this is possible, that God has told you to do it. But if you could have 24 hours to pursue the deepest joy of your soul, what would happen? I think for some folks, just to get real practical, if, you're, if your job during the week is you, uh, you have real strenuous, hard physical labor, then your Sabbath might look more like um, I'm taking a break from that kind of physical labor and I'm going to maybe engage more uh, emotionally or mentally or whatever it may be. And if it's the flip where your day job and your, your, your week looks more like you've got uh, uh, mental and emotional work and maybe office strenuous work, then you're going to flip that and maybe you'll do something physical where you'll go for a walk and you'll, you'll go... Uh, to a park, or you'll be outside with family and friends, or you'll go to the beach. I don't know what it is, but, but you see that? You need some kind of break from what the normal six days of the week looks like so that you can do something for your soul. It's 24 hours with no have-tos or ought-tos, just delight. What would that look like? Marva Don is an author who uh, writes a lot about the Sabbath and uh, very practical writing, just very practical ideas. Most of her writing took place before she got married, much later in life, and so she writes a lot about what it's like to practice the Sabbath as a single woman in the church. It's fascinating because most of the stuff in the church is written for 
married folks and, and people with kids, and, and she tries to think about it from a very different perspective. And she, she talks a lot about how a good Sabbath requires good planning. That in order to, to really rest well, you have to think about the day before you get to the day. And she roots this in the old Jewish practice where they literally had a day of preparation. That's what they would call the day before the Sabbath. They would prepare for what was ahead by cooking meals and thinking about what they were going to do and preparing whatever needed to be done and taking care of whatever work may have to happen so that on the day of the Sabbath they could rest fully. And so she says if if you're going to enter into a a fullness of delight and, and really rest, it requires you prepare here's some things I just want to give to you that, that she talks about, and, and these are, are more suggestions, I would say, and, and I would encourage you to experiment, because what you'll learn about the Sabbath is it's really something that you have to figure out, how do I engage God and rest in this way? But one of the things she says, I love this, she says, plan to eat the best meal of your week during the Sabbath. Plan to eat the best meal of your week so that the other six days of the week you're, you're maybe eating good food, but you're looking ahead to the Sabbath. This is a day where I'm going to celebrate and rejoice and, and we're going to feast on this day, whatever that may look like. Here's another thing. She says, plan to be outdoors in God's creation, cultivating wonder in some way. Get outside, especially now. I mean, we live in Florida. As things are beautiful, you, you can be outside and see what God has created. Next thing is to plan to turn off technology and to be present with the people in your life. Be present. Not distracted, not, not busy, not, not thinking about so many different things, but to be present in the moment with real human beings. She says, plan to sleep in, rest, and take a nap. Some of y'all didn't know, some of the most spiritual things you can do are naps. This is it right here. Take a nap. Plan to enjoy the interruptions, the mess, the missteps, especially if you have kids. Right? This idea of a Sabbath, it doesn't mean you, know, you, you send the kids outside and, and you disappear for eight hours and you're like, I don't know what happened, but it's peaceful in here. It, it's all right. If you have kids, it's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. You've got to figure that out. Plan for the interruptions. Don't get upset about it. But let that be a part of your joy. Uh, the next thing she says is to plan some, some time to just enjoy God through gratitude. And what she means is, is look back on your week and see what God has done. See where you can give Him praise, where you can give Him thanks. Plan to accept not accomplishing really anything. For some of y'all who, who are high achievers and feel like you always got to be doing something, she says, just accept you're not going to get much done. And that's okay. And the last thing she says is to please, or, or to plan, keep growing. Keep growing in the skill of delight on the Sabbath. That it takes skill. You, it comes every seven days. If you have a bad Sabbath, you have a stressful Sabbath, you have a non-existing Sabbath, come back next week. And just keep learning what it means to rest and how to delight in God. And these are just some of her her suggestions I would highly recommend. Just as you um, reflect on what does it mean for me to take 24 hours and to pursue delight in God, what would that look like? Now, why do we struggle with that? This is where I want to go next. Why, Why is that so hard for many of us? I think it's fear. 
And this is the next point, the fear of delight. Look, look at uh, the end of verse 13. Isaiah goes on to say, he says, If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Now here uh, we, we have the second part of kind of a long if-then statement. So in the first part, he says, if you call it a delight. Now he's saying, if you honor it. Well, what does it mean to honor the Sabbath? Well, he gives a couple things here. He says to seek your own pleasure, which is literally your own business. The ESV even puts it in the note there. It says uh, it, it's this idea of you're seeking pleasure in your work itself. He's saying that this, this is what you're going to have to stop on the Sabbath. To honor it, you're going to have to not seek the pleasure of your work. And then a related thing he says here is talking idly, which is not, again, saying that you can't have any conversations on the Sabbath or, or talk at all. He's specifically, in these words, talking about uh, conversation around business. So in other words, these two together give you this picture of somebody who, who really hasn't uh, found their delight in their rest, but they're still finding delight in their work. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, he's saying rather than really stopping your work, you're, you're still finding your, your delight in it. You're, you're still hoping... You can, you can get something out of it. And really, he's getting at the heart motivation here, right? Where there's this fear-based work pleasure that's so hard to let go of. I mean, maybe you've been there before where you try to rest. You, you, you try to take a day where, where you don't think about work, and all you can think about is work. You're like, I got to return that email. I got to call that person back. I got to finish this project. I, I got to make sure it makes sense in my head or, or whatever it is, but you just can't turn it off. You got to get something done. You got to finish. You got to do this. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the sense that I'm gaining my identity from my work, and so if I stop my work, I'm afraid who am I? Who am I? What, what am I without my work? What am I without accomplishing something? Who am I if I, if I don't finish? Or what are they going to think of me? Or all these things that start going through your mind and your heart. What do I do if I'm not working? Who am I? See, many of us, are, our identity is so connected to our work, we don't know what to do with delight. It doesn't fit into our life. And so delight, it, it exposes these deep fears within us. Dan Allender is a, an author and a, and a uh, seminary professor, and he uh, tells the story of one time he was in a seminary class, and it's, it's a class full of about 60 students, men and women, who are preparing for full-time ministry. And uh, these folks are not what you would call a new believer. They're not new to following Jesus, right? These are folks ready to, to move forward and, and serve the church in this vocational sense. And so he asked them, kind of surprisingly to them, he says, do any of you want to tell me what your Sabbath practices are? Like, what, what do you guys do for your Sabbath? What does that look like? And he said, out of the 60 students in the class, only four had anything to offer. Like, they, they had not really thought about it. They, they didn't really have anything like that. They didn't know that was a thing. And he said, well, after that, I started asking him, well, why? You know, why don't you think about that? And what, what do your practices, or what, what's keeping you from these practices? And he said a couple of them said things like schoolwork, and, and, you know, I got another job outside of school, and I got family to take care of. But he said, one person really stood out to me. 
This student, his response stuck with me. The student said, I don't know what to do with a day of delight. Sabbath scares me because I'm so much more comfortable with work than play. I don't even know what to do with joy. I don't even know what to do with joy. See, many of us, we, we're just like that student. We, we don't know what to do with joy. We, if, if you were given 24 hours, you, you don't know what to do with it. We're so much more comfortable with work, right? We're so much more comfortable with something that's tangible, that I can say, I checked it off, I, I accomplished something, I did something today, I, I finished this project on my house, I, I did this paper for school, I, I did this thing at the job that my boss asked me for, it's tangible, I, I feel a sense of accomplishment and finished, but delight, I mean, what, what, what do you do with that? Joy, what, what even is joy? What, what do we do with joy? That, that, that's what he's getting at. I don't know what to do with it because with work, I understand it. Work can distract me from my problems. Work can dull my fears. Work can make me feel like I've accomplished something and I am somebody. But joy just seems like it's aimless. It seems like it's out in the clouds somewhere. And it terrifies me. What do you do with joy? I'm not talking about delight in the, in the secular sense, right? Where the, the secular world around us, we, we would define, or we would hear defined uh, as, as this sense of, I'm going to vacate, right? That's what vacation means. I'm going to escape from all my problems, and, and I'm going to pretend like they don't exist, and, and I'm going to get out of this place. A day off is, is a day to, to just check out, you know, watch football, watch Netflix, do something for myself. It's, it's a self-care time. That's, that's not what the Sabbath is talking about. Eugene Peterson once said this. Uh, he said, A day off is a bastard Sabbath, the illegitimate child of the seventh day and Western culture. What he means by that is, is Western culture is all about consumerism and production, and so the day off is really just a day for me to recover so I can go back into the world of consumer chaos and, and make sure I can contribute and do the best I can so I can go right back on the weekend to recover again. And it's, it's a cycle, not of delight, but of slavery. It's a cycle of bondage. And what the Sabbath is talking about is something very different, right? It's not that a day off is bad or that a vacation is bad or any of those things are wrong, but what it's saying is this is something completely different. That this, this is a way that, that I'm not accomplishing anything, I'm not recovering so I can be just another worker, but I am delighting with deep joy. What do I do with joy? See, joy is this counterformation in a culture of fear. Joy is simply this choice to receive. Because at the core of the Sabbath is, is this, uh, this delight that, that says, a day where you don't earn anything. A day where you're not resting, so now you can do something. Did you know that the very first day that humans existed was a Sabbath? That God created them, the next day was the seventh day, and God and Adam and Eve rested? They didn't rest because they had to go back to work. They didn't rest because they were exhausted. They rested because it was what God designed them to do. To delight. 
What if we're afraid of just pure grace? What if we're afraid that, that God doesn't need us to do anything but to just receive? See, Sabbath might be the greatest gospel reminder in your week because it embodies grace. It takes grace from the theoretical, I believe Jesus died for me and did all that I need, to I'm going to live that way, as if I'm not needed, and all I do is delight in who He is. You hear that? If that doesn't terrify you, you may not, you, you may not get what I'm saying. That all I do is receive. We, we delight in this awe of a God who gives everything. We delight in wonder of a God who works for us. A delight in, in a surprise of a God who shows mercy to sinners. The answer to our fears is God's promise of delight. And this is the last point. He gives us this promise in the face of that fear. Look at verse 14. He says, Then, then you shall take Delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There were two ifs, right? And now there's a then. Two ifs. If, if you uh, delight in the Sabbath, if you turn from your fear of work and, and honor the day, he says, then, then I give you this promise that God will, or you will delight in God. He's making this remarkable promise that in a world of fear, there, there is a way toward delight. In a world of restlessness, there's a way toward rest. In a world of, of this bondage of busyness, there, there's a way towards liberation of joy. And he goes further. He says it's not just a promise for now, but this is a promise of what's to come. He says, I'm going to give you a glimpse of this future grace that, that the joy of your Sabbath is going to point towards a time that will come where, where a day uh, of constant joy and feasting of Sabbath for eternity. On that day, you will ride on the heights, he says. On that day, you will ride on the heights in a sense of victory and, and accomplishment and, 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 and liberation. Their joy won't be hindered by sadness or loss. It will have no end. It won't be a day or an hour. It will be for eternity. There will be this peace that surpasses all their experiences. There will be this feast that, that God's promises will be fully realized. This is what he's saying. And listen, God can't wait to give that promise. God's saying, if, if you'll rest in me, then this will happen, and I can't wait to give it to you. I can't wait. Because God's greatest delight is in our delight. It's in us. It's, it's in seeing His children overwhelmed in joy. When I think about this idea of God's delight in us and His promise, I think about a man named Wilson Bentley. This man uh, was often called Snowflake Bentley. He was a little, a little out there, but, but Snowflake Bentley, he, he was a guy in the 19th century who was a New England farmer. And uh, he was kind of a self-taught photographer as well. And he would every winter spend hours upon hours collecting snowflakes because he thought they were the most beautiful thing on the planet. And he's actually the reason today that we know that there are no two snowflakes alike. And, and it's because of his research in his 40 years of uh, photography. 
He captured the images of 5,000 different snowflakes and not a single one alike. What's fascinating is he would, he would run around with these big uh, black, like, I don't know what you call them, but they're these big plates, basically, and he would catch them, and before they would melt, because they would vanish in seconds, he would capture their image, and then he would go on to the next one. And, and he took curious little notes, and, and they were almost like poetry, because he would see these, these beautiful things under the microscope and take these incredible pictures, and he wrote things like this. He said, number 785, a rare, tiny miracle of beauty. Like, just this incredible, overwhelming heart towards these snowflakes. And we hear that, and we see that that's just odd. Why, why would this man be so obsessed with something so foolish, so vanishing, so temporary? And then you hear the psalmist. In Psalm 144, say this, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Do you hear that? A vanishing breath, a, a fleeting shadow, yet God's pure delight. God's pure joy that he would care for us, that he would think about us, that he would pursue us. And his greatest delight is shown in his coming in Christ. It's shown in the incarnation where God shows his delight by coming. He leaves behind heaven to come for his bride. He leaves behind glory to be clothed in shame. He left behind eternal praise to be mocked by soldiers. He left behind all of this. By taking on human flesh in the person of Jesus, becoming what we cannot grasp. God's becoming man cannot be grasped. It can't be explained. It can only be enjoyed. It can only cause us to stop in awe. It can only move our affections to see that there's a God who makes us full of wonder and awe, who, who would come for us. Who are we that you would die for us? Who are we that you would rise for us? Who are we that you would love us? A vanishing breath, yet God's delight. God's pure delight. And Jesus says, why? He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Hebrews says it again, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus chose joy, and his joy was dying for us. His joy was in His stripes for our healing. His joy was in His blood for our forgiveness. His joy was in His crown of thorns. His joy was in His naked body and nail-scarred hands. He was willing to endure it because His delight was in us. His delight was in you and me, that He would secure our delight forever. Forever. He says, if you'll rest in me, Here's the delight that I've prepared for you. Here's the joy that I've prepared for you. It's never going to end. Never going to end. Do you need His joy today? As we close, I just want to ask you, where, wherever you find yourself today, as, as you're uh, maybe overwhelmed with hurry and busyness or, or stress and anxiety, or, or maybe it's just an overwhelming sense that, that I, I don't know what to do with with all the chaos in my life. There's just so much. I, I can't imagine resting. I can't imagine joy and delight. I, I work because it keeps me from thinking about all these things. I want to tell you, Jesus invites you. He invites all of us today 
He said this to, to his disciples. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Yeah. Not come to me all who, who have it figured out, who've scheduled out their Sabbath perfectly and, and who've made their life disciplined and well-ordered. Come to me when you're messed up. Come to me when you're tired. Come to me when you've never even heard the word Sabbath. Come, and I will give you rest. Because the rest that he's promising is what he secures on the cross. This rest that, that begins now, that we can experience now in this life, but, but it goes on for eternity. It's a rest that will never end, that we will spend all of eternity enjoying and delighting in God forever. And God's delight in his people will never end. He says, I, I want you to come start that. Come start that today. And his invitation is for all of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross that secures our rest. As Hebrews says, there, there yet remains a rest for God's people. That what you have done is only the the foretaste that, that right now we're experiencing uh, the, the rest for our souls and the rest for our spirit and even in a small way rest for our body but one day it'll be completed and one day you will renew all things and it will be a feast a celebration a delight it won't be 24 hours but it will be forever and so lord i pray that in this life as we come up against just the tyranny, the bondage of so much busyness, that you would help us be set free, to be set free by grace to just receive, to receive and to enjoy and to delight. And Lord, I pray for wisdom that by your Spirit you would help us to discern what, what we can do to, to have that rhythm in our life, that we would be able to call your Sabbath a delight that our souls at its, our deepest level would be full of joy, joy that's rooted in you. In Jesus' name, amen.